Prelude 1, a golden hour beneath the sun, a final foe, a battle won. Whenever surface gleamed with light, we stood in triumph then. But now as twilight calls the moon and tries to sing an ender's tune, surrounded by the eyes of night, come stand with me again, for this is our final hour. Then let us greet the coach to devour. Surrounded by the eyes of night. Come stand with me again. With sword in hand and spear behind. Come stand with me again. He unconsciously sh- showed, slowed his steps. So the bag of the horseshoes bounced against his hip in time. The rhythms of the song. The lever of the bag he stung over his shoulder and did an excellent job of muffling the clink, jag, jag, clink of the iron shoes as they knocked and slid against one another. You see, Ran, he grinned to himself, I can play an instrument, just not one. They clamber for in a noble's home. He hummed along as he strode towards the group of fellow armsmen singing on the other side of the barn. He wouldn't have time to finish his chore and join them before the song was over, but never mind. There, there was work to be done. he have time to relax once it was sorted. Besides, even if he didn't manage to get to one of the barbaric circles before they left tomorrow, he would have two days in the saddle a night around the fire, and nearly a week in Wiff's song, to hear Rand perform, or sing himself hoarse, arm in arm with the others. He came to stop alongside one of the stable boys, though perhaps it would be more appropriate to refer to this one as a stable hand, given his boyhood, looked to still be standing some sixteen summers back, up the hourglass, half-heartedly brushing down one of the countess's team of coach horses. Gregor had spent time, spent a year, teaching him how to read people by watching them. Though he enjoyed the games immensely, the lessons had stopped abruptly on his 14th birthday. Those lessons had been given a special place in his memory, alongside those of his father, had taught him before he passed. They were always within easy reach and recall. Employing them, however, he saw something that didn't much please him. As near as he could tell, the stable hand was paying far more attention to Rand's song than he was than his work. He was half humming, half singing, along with the song, misquoting the song and stewed of not quite nonsense words, and wearing a curiously childlike expression on his sharp-featured face, round by the eyes of nights, come stand e up again. He might have let it go, having night might might have it have even done the work for him if he had the time just to keep things moving along, moving along at an even place. Everyone had moments like that, after all, given the Countess's departure, 
the morning, however, there simply wasn't time for the luxury of laziness. You must always strive to be the bridge, Gregor used to say. Figure out what your goal is. Once you have, remember it, and make certain you always act in surface to that goal. When trying to spring hearts and minds on side, you can either pass the mug or punch the jaw. It's down to you to figure out which one's best in a given moment. Bought you some shoes, he said. He unslung the bag from over his left shoulder, turned to the right, and took the necessary two strokes to lay it atop the nearby wooden table. Nay, nay, Kiev. Wouldn't be needing any new shoes today. Thank you very much. His voice was high and somewhat nasal. No need for new shoes for oh, never mouth. Not for always should think. He spoke an inch thick brogue of the pedantry. A mixture of shortened and unlikely compound words. Were first syllables were often swallowed whole in great gusts rapid speech. The tone used to deliver this cheerful rebuke was full of slightly condescending good humour. A man brushed a hand that looked too far too clean for the amount of work his day should be downstream, from which the lick of pale brown hair had crowned his head. Then went right on humming, a half-heartedly brushing the horse's coat. No, Kiev. Kia's voice was mild. I thought that too up until this morning. That I thought that too up to this morning. The stable hand scowled. But kept right on humming and sing songing. We made my round, I made my round, spoke to the cockroach and went with him to inspect the coach. Take a look at the horses and tack while I was at as it, he found a few nails that needed releasing. He had an order waiting for him, so I picked up fresh ones for old Toby Smith for his Smithson's forge. Nice, oh ye! The hand's grunt was as much as that was as much a sarcasm as anything else. What did we do with me houses? Kiev bit back his initial reaction. They most certainly wasn't the man's horses, though Kiev knew lots of folks who worked on other people's property for living intended to view their business that way. It's been a, been a dry season, Kiev answered the man's question as diplomatically as he could, continuing in that same mild, just passing the time tone of voice. No standing water in the parches to risk ruining hooves. Most of them should be fine. But two of her excellency's horses need new horses on both forelegs. I thought I'd save you the trouble just as I saved Alec Cartwright the same and bring you fresh shoes to settle things before we ride out in the morning. He waited a moment before finishing. I even brought you my tools to help speed up the work. Everything stopped all at once. Rainy rain ended his song with four or five other arms of men who had been singing along with him, were caught in a magical moment, for applause or cheers might break out, a silence that only a truly moving performance can ever really recall forth 
from fighting men. The stable hand stopped his half-hearted brushing, looked greedily over his shoulder at Kenneth. You mean he, Dad's autos? Ones from some doors? On them? Kenneth fought against the grin. It wasn't as if his father's blacksmithing tools afforded their wielders some special knowledge or ability to work metal, or, nor did his firing tools serve a calm and otherwise skittish horse, while new shoes were applied. Still, a master tools, regardless of what craft they were tied to, did make the task of crafty craft slightly easier. They often sped the work up by the sheer nature of their efficiency. He also seemed to even spy and bolden the novice fortunate enough to weld them. Kenneth recommended, reckoned it was a tradesman's equivalent of a boy walking around his father's boots using a master tool just made you feel, well, like a master. The very ones, Kenneth said, nodding. If you like help, I'll I am happy to lend a hand, but I suspect you have a better idea of what you are about than I do. The truth, Kenneth, Baba doubted that. Under his father's watchful eye, he had been making nails and shoes almost since he was first held a hammer. He had been affixing them to a horse's hoof since he was old enough to not be scared of the giant beasts. Fighting back the urge to smile in triumph, he was inwardly pleased to see he gazed the situation rightly. This had been the time, time to pass the mug, not to punch the jaw. Nay, nay, Kenneth, we won't be leading help from thee. He paused, forcing his face to release the skull to begin to weld. Show me the rich horses, or get the work, the work done. Kenneth nodded, his chin dipping down as far as enough far enough to be, he hoped, deferential. Rainey had begun to voyage on his next performance. Kenneth knew it, but couldn't have requested it by name. God and glory, something like that, at any rate. There is a hole beneath the hill, where the sons of dead soldiers do not get Dawn down and run ruined road where the ghosts of the gunshires fight and fear they have forgotten so all glory and their glass but not a gold. Kenneth shook his head to clear it of the imaginary then turned his attention back to the stable hand. He had just opened his mouth to name the horses in question when a young uneven voice called his name. Surprised and delighted, he turned to look back over his shoulder, his face already spitting into a sunny grin. Wrapped in a sort of an embroidered finery that only the nobility could ever really afford, a youth of fifteen or sixteen, who just about groaned into his light limbs, came striding easy along the length of the stable. His dark brown hair hung in the careless bags, naturally waving off to one side. Me? The sabre-hand began, voice fighting a tide that dragged it back to be sim- simmering. I a good servant, master, truly voice. Me lord, he managed, bowing. Well now, Kenneth began, 
in a hotly charging tone. Young Master Robis, a wick, what a dis- what a decided pleasure to see you again, my lord. Tell me how this humble groom can be an assistance to your good self. This last sentence came directly on the heels of the one before. Kenneth's expression exaggerated and gently mocking courtesy, causing a younger boy, not quite man, to smile with genuine good humour. Step hand to cast in shot in incomprehension. The youth sped up his last few strides and neatly tackled Kenneth in a brief fierce embrace. The sudden movement advised a deep, uncertain withering, wickering in the mount of stable hand, of the mount of the stable hand, as half heartedly attending a single stump of good measure. Revis pulled back from the contact almost as quickly as fiercely as he initiated it, though for he gripped both of Kenneth's shoulders as he withdrew. He took Kenneth for a moment, shook Kenneth for a moment, eyes wide, mouth still wearing that bright and honest smile. Kenneth laughed at his salt, gripped the youth's shoulders in response, squeezed once, then took a stride back, like still grinning. I hear you and Cedric, Cedric's men took the prize at the Natch Northern Marches a tournament last month. Yes, your best voice performed in a few ironic leaps behind child and manhood in excitement. It's all because of you. You you my secret weapon, everything. Everything you said was right. Nobody's ever explained it like that before. Not my brother, nor my father, nobody. Kenneth shook his head, blushing in spite of himself. Don't go blaming me for your good fortune, Robes. You did it you did it all the overthinking, drowning my own faults. If it hadn't been for you explaining it plainly, I've never gotten it straight. I hear you were shouting orders and calling cadence the entire time. Um, a month, almost, from the marshal's first call will lay on. I am sad not to have made the trip, but Countess and the up had over duties for me here in the capital. Bagar been good enough to give him a full revolt. He'd been proud of his, of his improvement. I was, and that's my point. Until you told me it was all right to give an order when nobody else was giving one. His face grew suddenly serious. That's actually what I wanted to talk about. I'm still saying it's wrong. I've been I'm doing it right, executing the lessons you taught me, but I can't speak them clearly enough to teach others. Can you saw another man, young man, back at the entrance to the stable where whence Robbins had come? The two even the two could even be in the same age or perhaps a year separated from them. In stark contrast to Robbins, however, the lingering newcomer looked absolutely uncertain to whether or not he should be there. Forgive me, may I have your name? Kenneth turned to see Robbins. He was addressing the room. Only another human occupant, the same stable hand, had been speaking for his life. He couldn't remember the man's name. He'd been hoping it would come to him over the course of the conversation, as such things did, often did. Rucco, oh, my lord, give us, give us Rucco, if you please, you sawyer. 
Sly, if, wickle, why wickle? Robert repeated, taking care to announce each syllable correctly. Are you the friend of Kenneth's then? Wickle took a moment to look sidelong at Kenneth, scalgating. In a slow, resonated voice, he answered, Name me, Lord, I'm just a humble stable lad. Kenneth here was kind enough to bring me some fresh horseshoes to change out before your journey tomorrow, and lend me his father's tools to help me along on my way. He's just of sort, is O'Keefe, always happy to lend a hand. He finishes a probable sermon to Kenneth's virtue, with almost convincing hunch-shouldered smile. Rebus nodded as he as if he understood. He took a moment to consider, then seemed to make up his mind. Well, if Kenneth is willing to lend you his father's tools, he must think highly of you. Everco bowed his head, again to show signs of his startlingly convincing blush. Rebus will continue a need to borrow him for a short while. I hope that's all right. Give me just a moment, Rebus. I meet you and your. Be he paused before offering a guess. Cousin, Rebus Skin made another appearance. He seemed to be doing a lot that today. A lot of doing a lot, a lot at that today. Then, which of East Shadow? said he. Said Cedric's son. Kenneth nodded his head and mouthed, Oh, and ah, for adding, I won't. Be a minute. Brothers sighed and turned to walk back the way he came. So not right, Reco murmured. What isn't you giving a voice to boys like that? For wonder, Reco sounded earnest rather than simpering or penitent. They're destined for greatness, both of them. Our heirs to noble families, both will be knighted, and both will hold the lives of men, like he and me, in their hands. What of it, Keith? Kenneth was generally confused by his suddenly salacious version of Echo. I not taught him anything new, just the ebb and flow of mimicry combat. If it's the same thing his father, brother, and other armsmen have taught him since he was old enough to hold a practice sword, I just taught him it in a way that made him more sense to him. Different words, different examples, same lessons. You're a groom, aren't you? He's no business teaching noble lordlings how to behave on and off the field. Certainly have no business being embraced by them. He shrugged one shoulder, looking away. If he known him since he boy or a babe in arms, that might be another thing. But he, he, he but he's from far afield, isn't he? Wick, was it? Then Kenneth nodded in confirmation. Wicker finished his train of thought. We were close, you and I, but I not see he aimed for corporating, corrupting a noble's let get loose. Of course, he done it just. He trailed off for a long moment. It looked as if he'd chosen to leave the matter there, but at length he seemed to decide to press it on to the end. Just keep your balance, distance in public places is all. Watch yourself. You wind up swinging or for nothing more than a careless almost moment. Kenneth was thunderstruck. In truth, he wasn't certain what surprised him more. The idea that such a simple act of affection, camaraderie, might 
lead to his death and trouble for Verbus, or the fact that of all the people Rocco was the one offering in the warning. After a moment, Kenneth nodded, told the man which two horses needed. We shut in, and began walking towards Verbus, and apparently the heir to the house of East Shadow. <laughs>